following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. catch a gleam of glory bright, but still I'll pray till heaven I found, Lord lead me on to higher ground. There is simply nothing, there is simply nothing more important than where you will spend eternity. Now you can blow this off and say, I know where I'm going, I'm going to heaven. 80% of Americans when polled say that when they die they're going to a much better place. As they say that, does that mean that in reality they are going to go to a much better place? Does their belief that they are going to a much better place mean that they're going there? No, absolutely no. They're not the one who determines the outcome of the judgment. Jesus is the one who determines the outcome. The outcome is not based on whether or not I accept Jesus. The outcome is based on whether he accepts me. Will Jesus accept you in your current condition before God? Have you examined your current position before God? Have you carefully looked at the way you live, how you use your time and money? Are you on your way to heaven 
or are you on your way to hell? Based on Jesus' judgment, not on your sentimental, Americanized version of what religion is. I spoke with a woman just yesterday. She told me that the pastor of her church is gay and that they're all accepting that, that it seems okay. Well, as the conversation developed further, I asked her a question about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And she said to me, I don't think I've ever heard of them. Who are they? Here's a woman with a college degree, a woman who is in management, in business management, and she's never heard of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. She's never heard of them. But she finds it perfectly acceptable that her pastor is gay. In other words, while saying that she is saved, she is totally illiterate about religion and about the feelings and the standards and the conditions of God's heart. Yet she says to me, I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. My family's going to go. We're going to have a wonderful time there. And yet she is utterly illiterate. She has no concept of what it would mean to go to heaven or what the conditions thereof are. Now, perhaps you've heard of Abraham. Perhaps you've heard of his sons. But have you carefully examined the conditions of God in order to go to heaven? When I look at America, what I see are the judgments of God falling on this nation. Pastor, what do you mean you see the judgments of God? Romans 1 tells us that God gives a nation over to homosexuality as a judgment, as a sign that he is about to destroy the nation. Now, I'm not saying that. Romans 1 says that. I also find that earthquakes, drought, disease, all of these things are evidences of God's judgment War, devastation, famine, these are all evidences of God's judgment upon a nation. A financial collapse is a sign of God's judgment on a nation. Invasion, threats of invasion are all a part of God's judgment. They are remedial judgments. They are God's attempt to awaken us to our true condition before his throne. Now let me give you another sign of God's judgment where he pours out financial blessings. 
Israel just before they went into captivity with Babylon. They were prospering magnificently. Business was booming. Money was flowing. Crops were being produced. It was a sign saying, Do you enjoy this? Then come to me. Or I'm going to bring Babylon and I'm going to destroy you. The judgments of God are falling on America right now. Now, if you don't take time and stop and consider your true condition before God, you are in grave danger. Now, what makes it so difficult for me to come to this radio day by day is that most of you don't sense the radical change necessary to avoid the destruction of America. And it begins with me, and it begins with you. In the prayer closet, on our face before God, weeping in repentance for our wickedness and our casualness, our lusting after the things of darkness, we distract ourselves with our telephones and our our internet and our televisions and our sports and our hobbies and We distract ourselves so that we spend our life after the wind, after foolishness, and then we die and we go to judgment. If you do not pray, if you do not cry out with tears for the lost and the dying, can I say this? then you are not a true Christian. You do not have the heart of Jesus. You're a hypocrite. You're living a double life. You're saying you're a Christian, but you have no compassion for the lost. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastored the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. There must come now a radical change in our lives, in our hearts, in the church. Most churches are just fun camps. Places where we go for entertainment and inspiration and friendship. But thank you very much. I'll leave the radical change to the fanatics. We must all stop before the judgments of God sweep this nation away. Mr. Trump is not the answer to prevent the judgment of God from falling on this nation. We must be crucified with Christ. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians, the second chapter, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, the question. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Pastor, give me a practical answer, okay? Here it is. It's given eloquently by a pastor from the late 1800s who wrote his name was G.D. Watson 
the word crucifixion as it applies to us in a Christian sense may be defined as any pain or suffering which renders us dead to sin or to self or to the things of time and sense. In other words, Watson is saying that crucifixion is anything in our life, any painful thing in our life that can be used by God to render us or to make us dead to sin, to self, that would cause us to stop our attention on what we're doing now in time, what we're doing that's of common good sense to us, and cause us to begin to focus entirely on, wait a minute, what is Jesus saying about this? Now, there may be many kinds of sorrow and suffering which are not going to serve the purpose of true crucifixion. In other words, all peoples suffer in many different ways. Sickness, poverty, loss of a spouse, the death of a child, getting fired from your job. These are common to all of us. But in order that this suffering may be brought to bear upon our hearts to mortify us, to humble us. All of those things that happen to us must be put into the will of God. They must be yielded to the operation of the Holy Spirit. When we yield ourselves absolutely up to God and trust Him to take charge of every particle of our being and life and circumstances, It is then that his omnipotence takes gentle and firm possession of all our trials and sufferings and makes them work a true crucifixion in us. Now let me explain. A true crucifixion can come about because God brings some prescriptive judgment upon our life. And as we surrender to that and give it into the hand of God, it gives God a handle to pull us through into a place of tender-hearted humility. It gives God an opportunity to grow us up and mature us in the Christian faith. But then many things that we face did not come from the hand of God. They may have come directly from the hand of Satan, or they may have come directly from the hand of people who are unkind and unloving or selfish or judgmental. But the Bible teaches us in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I'm going to read it for you in verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. In other words, all hardship is to be treated as discipline from God, even though it does not come from God. It may come from Satan. But if we'll take that hardship and utterly give it over to Jesus Christ, if we will take that painful firing from the job and utterly give it into the hand of Jesus. 
Jesus will use that by the Holy Spirit's power to totally mortify to totally mortify us, to humble us, to reduce us down to a place where God can begin to work in us. So it doesn't matter what the occasion of the suffering may be. It may come from our own sins or poverty or ill health, loss of friends, separations, a terrible protracted temptation, assaults of evil spirits or the hatred of others, a great disappointment or divine chastisement. It may come from many of these sources, but let it come from any cause in the universe. If we give it over entirely into the hands of God and sink ourselves into his will with a perfect desire for him to work his best will in us, he will make every pain, every groan, every tear, every particle of our suffering. He will use it to work in us a death to sin and to self and all things on earth, which will be for our highest perfection and for his glory. The depth and the power of the spiritual life in every person depends completely on the degree of their crucifixion. There is a divine mystery in suffering, a strange and supernatural power in it. It's never been understood by human reason. But there has never been known a great saintliness of soul which did not pass through great suffering. There is such a thing as suffering reaching a state of perfection. When we suffer so severe and so long that we become dead to it and divinely indifferent as to how much we suffer or how long it will continue, when the suffering soul reaches a calm, sweet carelessness, when it can inwardly smile at its own suffering and does not even ask God to deliver it from the suffering, then it has wrought its blessed ministry. Then patience has its perfect work, and the crucifixion begins to weave itself into a crown. It is in this state of perfection, of suffering, that the Holy Spirit works marvelous things in our souls. In such a condition, our whole being lies perfectly still under the hand of God. Every faculty of the mind and will and heart are at last subdued. A quietness of eternity settles down into the whole being. The tongue grows still and has but few words to say. It stops asking God questions. It stops crying, Why me? Why have you left me? The imagination stops building air castles or running off on foolish lines. The reason is tame and gentle. It stops debating. It quits all dogmatism. The will ceases from its own activity. The bluster and zeal of self-action is taken out of it. The choices are annihilated. It has no choice in anything but the purpose of God. 
The affections are weaned from all creatures and all things. It loves nothing but God and God's perfect will in any given thing. It has no private ends to serve. It has no motives except to please God. It is so dead that nothing can hurt it. Nothing can offend it. Nothing can hinder it. Nothing can get in its way. For... Let its circumstances be what they may be. It seeks only for God and his will, and it feels assured that God is making everything in the universe, good or bad, past or present, work together for its good. Oh, the blessedness of being absolutely conquered by Jesus, of losing our own strength and wisdom and goodness and plans and desires, being where every atom of our nature is like the placid Galilee under the omnipotent feet of our Jesus. Now you know as I share this, this state of peace does not come quickly or easily. It means that I stop rising up in anger I stop running. I stop cutting people off. There is a great tenderness of soul that comes. I've seen so many Christians. There's just a hard, judgmental, cold edge to them. I'll come back to that in a moment. There are great blessings that result from sanctified suffering. It gives a person a great wideness of heart. It gives a universality of love. This utmost crucifixion destroys the littleness and narrowness of the mind. It gives an immensity to the sympathies and an ocean-like divine love which is beyond words. This is because creature love is crucified and divine love flows in the whole being. It is as if every drop of blood has been drawn out of the body and the blood of a divine being has been pumped into all the veins. The heart which has been perfectly crushed with suffering until it is dead to all its desires it now will be filled with divine charity and it will stretch itself out it will wrap the world around with a fold of bondless spotless impartial love for every creature that god has made this immensity of heart loves all nations alike it is absolutely free from all bigotry all prejudice all concern about caste all political partisanship or sectarian feelings. It is a citizen of heaven. Now please hear me. If you do not become a citizen of heaven now, you will never be a citizen of heaven in the future. 
your last day on earth and your first day in heaven, you will be of the same character. There will be no character change or improvement. You will take to heaven only your character. And if your character has not been refined by crucifixion, even though very religious, you will not enter into heaven. This citizen of heaven takes as much interest in the kingdom of God in one place as in another. Now this may be very strong. It may cause you indigestion. But I want to tell you, until you reach the deepest death of self, where you love all creatures with God's love, as God loves them, it's not so much that we're loving them, it's that God is loving them through us. It's that we become channels through which the Holy Spirit flows. He pours his thoughts through our minds, his prayers and love through our hearts, his choices through our wills. He breaks away all the boundaries of our narrow education of creed or theology or nationality or race. And he takes us up into that unfailing love of his heart. Now this needs to be our present experience. And if it's not, we will not be able to enter into the kingdom of God. And so I ask you, have you been crucified with Christ? And the place to begin is to give to Jesus every place you have been offended. Stop running. Stop running and let Jesus apply the crucifixion to your heart. If you will do this, there will come upon you an incredible, inexpressible tenderness of heart. You will stop all judgments against a brother or a sister. It is this tenderness of Jesus filling the thoughts the feelings, the manners, the words, the tone of the voice. The whole being is soaked in a sea of gentleness. Everything hard, everything bitter, everything severe and critical and flinty has been crushed into powder. Great sufferers are noted for their quiet gentleness as we approach them, it's like going to a tropical climate in midwinter. The very air around them seems mellow. They speak slowly. Quiet words are like the gentle ripple of the summer seas on the sand. Their soft eyes are not accusing and sharp. There's no longer a rudeness or loudness of their voices. There are many souls who are earnest Christians who have 
an indestructible something in them which needs the crushing and the melting of a great crucifixion. I'll tell you the truth. I've been more hurt in the church than I have ever been hurt by the pagans. I have seen that hard, cold, flinty glare, the glare of disapproval from the very ones that we would expect to rally around us and pray with us and love us and encourage us. Instead, they cut and they run because this part of their heart needs to be utterly crushed and melted. Their tongues rattle in gossip. Their spirit is dictatorial and they tell you, you can't do that, that's wrong. Even though there is nothing in Scripture that says it's wrong. Their tone is harsh and judgmental. They measure other people by themselves. There is something in their constitution which seems to need a deep grinding into fine flour. It's well worth the crushing of hearts with an overwhelming sorrow. If thereby God can bring us out into that beautiful tenderness and sweetness of spirit, which is the very atmosphere of heaven. This kind of tenderness can, cannot be voluntarily put on. It cannot come from training. It's not temporary. It's like a spring day. It's not like a warm day in the middle of the winter where the warm day disappears and the snow comes again. It's a fixed and all-pervading gentleness of spirit, which is like the fixed climate in a tropical country. This is the finest outgrowth of perfect suffering. A man who has suffered much, I frankly think, he has suffered as much or more than any man I've ever known before. He has just quietly and humbly said to me, Pastor, I love you. You've poured out your heart for me. I'm there for you. I'll walk with you. No condemnation in his heart. No judgment. You see in his eyes a gentle tenderness. Oh, he's straight. He's honest. He meets the condition of God for righteousness. But the suffering has ground to powder the hard, flinty side of his personality. I rejoice in this kind of demonstration of Christ-likeness. I wonder where you are today. 
Are you happy with your walk with Jesus? Are you content with where you stand? Have you been crucified with Christ, or is that flinty hard edge still there? And it's going to have to be ground into powder. You're going to have to be crucified. One of the greatest benefits of crucifixion is that you become utterly detached from all earthly things. Now, our mind has a thousandfold attachment to the things of this world. Perhaps you're not even aware of it, but if you look carefully at your soul, you'll see that it's stretched out into 10,000 things of earth and time, how the fingers of your thoughts grasp thousands of things. Just look at your mind. Every friend you have on earth has a distinct attachment. Every piece of property, every, everything you own on earth, you have an attachment to. A distinct attachment. And then for the 10,000 recollections in your bygone life, there's a particular sentiment of attachment. For all the scenes of earth and associations of time, there's an attachment and then look at the vast invisible world within your own self, your own desires, your hopes, your dreams, your prospects, your gratifications for yourself, your family, your church, your nation. See how you have become attached to your own thoughts until your heart seems to have a million springs to it which flow round and round countless objects in the world. I'm not even speaking today about things that are positively wicked or things that are stigmatized as sin. But of those things which Christian people recognize as innocent and yet in a thousand ways we fetter our hearts and bind our hearts to earth. It is only perfect suffering that will untie the heart and gently loosen every cord that binds us to our foes or our friends, to our possessions, to all the things of the past, to all earthly sights and sounds, and give us perfect inward liberty from everything on earth that the things of heaven can flow down into us until we feel that we are citizens of the new Jerusalem, a hundred times more powerful than that we are citizens of our city or our country. The heavenly world comes into us exactly in proportion as all the affairs of earth are emptied out of us. And nothing so perfectly empties us and detaches us as perfect suffering. It is in the way of suffering that God's make that God will make our perfect crucifixion into a crown of eternity. And so I ask you, are you satisfied with your life in Jesus Christ? Do you recognize the hard flintiness of your soul, the judgmental attitudes? Have you deserted friends 
Have you cut off people? Have you taken actions based on your judgments and your anger? Or have you been crucified with Christ and now Jesus is everything to you and now you are moved only by the Holy Spirit to come or to go? That's my desire for you that you would begin to see the crisis that America is facing and that you would begin to perceive your own extremely dangerous position if you have not been yet crucified fully and completely with Jesus Christ. I see a man who says, Oh, pastor, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I'm dependent upon Jesus. And then I see every part of his heart exhibited in judgments, in cutting, criticisms, that hard, flinty loyalty to his own inner self. It breaks my heart. I want that tenderness that flows directly from the love of Jesus Christ that flows from his heart. That tenderness that does not judge another. The tenderness that does not desert another in their time of great need. That we would be moved only by the power of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us. Now I'm going to open the phone lines. If you would like to call, I'd be happy to pray with you. I'll pray with you about crucifixion about the suffering of your life, about the casualness of your spirit and the need to come awake and begin to search after Jesus. Our phone number here in studio is 877-534-0780. Again, that number is 877 877- Five three four zero seven eight zero. Have you been crucified with Jesus Christ? Have you put him in absolute control of every part of your life? Now, if this is something that you want to learn about, if this is something you want to experience, and you need a place where you can begin to grow in grace in Jesus. I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. We're a small fellowship, but we are utterly sold out to Jesus Christ. We're a congregation of love and compassion and mercy. If you'd like to come, you're welcome. We are located 
at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. The address is 14851 Gideon Drive. Again, it's the All Saints Anglican Church, 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. We begin at 12 noon with prayer. You're welcome to come and stand in the circle and pray with us. Don't come expecting to be impressed. Come expecting to meet Jesus. And come expecting a radical new step of growth in Jesus Christ. If you need that hard flinty edge ground into powder and you need Jesus Christ to flow his love and tenderness into your heart then I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel or if you're looking for a place where people are crying out for revival and interceding for Washington D.C. and our nation then come to the National Prayer Chapel. That's what we're about. We're not about being somebody or something. We're about being humble servants of Jesus, searching after him with all of our hearts and our minds and our souls. Again, it's the All Saints Anglican Church, 14851. Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. Drive around to the back side of the church, and there you'll see a large white sign that says Lower Lobby. Come in those double glass doors, and on the left-hand side you'll find the prayer chapel, our worship center. Twelve o'clock this Sunday. Phone number is 877 534 0780 Mr. Producer, are there any calls coming? Mr. Producer, are you there? Are there any calls coming in? Okay. Phone lines are open. I'm happy to pray with you or talk with you. 877 What is the condition of your heart today? Would you examine it carefully? Would you put off everything else that is distracting you? And I'll tell you honestly what I've done in the past. I've searched the scriptures. I've had intense times of prayer. And then I've gone back to my normal workday life and tried to find some normalcy again. I'm not doing that anymore. I am all in for Jesus. I'm not going to back away. I'm not going to find some way to comfort my heart in this world. Jesus Christ is my comforter. The Holy Spirit is my comforter. 
this is a bit of a frightening time for me. We're in an in-between place. I need Jesus. I need Jesus to come and be everything for me. I need that sweep of power from the Holy Spirit and the pivot point is that perfect willingness on my part to be considered a failure to be crucified with Christ that's what we've been talking about this week So what is the condition of your heart? How do you stand with Jesus? Are you willing to lay aside everything of your normal life, that is, your entertainment, your hobbies, the things you just do, your ways? Are you willing to lay those aside and spend that time searching after Jesus Christ? Are you willing to give him total control and authority over every aspect of the hardships that come into your heart? The words of judgment from your husband or your wife or your children, judgment from other family members, shame because you don't have the money, or shame because you're fired from your job, the discourteous speech of others, the cutting off, the leaving. Are you willing to put all of that into the hands of Jesus and let that be the very grist that Jesus uses to complete the work of crucifixion in your heart? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we find all of these wonderful testimonies of of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses. They all were living by faith. And then Hebrews 12 comes. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders. That word hinder in the Greek, it literally means whatever you have your arms wrapped around that you're carrying with you. He's saying, look, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now throw away what you have your arms around. That which you're trying to preserve. Cast your whole being with Jesus Christ. And then he says, and the sin that so easily entangles. That word entangle, literally in the Greek, the sin that stands around you, well-placed, dancing before you, saying, take me, take me, I'm yours, I'm yours, grab me. 
He's saying, throw it away. Those old habits, those old ways, that alcohol, those drugs, that pornography, the fornication, the bitterness, the anger, the judgments, throw it away. You don't need it. He says, let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Well, what do you do when you get tired? When you're exhausted? Hebrews 3 and 4. You enter into the rest of Jesus. You find your place in Jesus. Now, please... Please understand what I'm saying to you today. The church today has found its place of rest in the world, in the flesh. And so we can come to church, we can hear nice little sermons. We can hear interesting things. We can have interesting social interactions. We can listen to the beautiful music. And then we go back to our world. And I'm saying, stop. You must search after Jesus. You must look to Jesus. Because the judgments of God are being poured out on this nation because the church is in their little happy camps. It's time for the pulpits to be filled with the fiery message of repentance, of returning to Jesus, of getting serious. Lord, I just cry out today for those who have listened to this message. I pray you will do a work in their hearts that we will allow you to crucify us and finish this work, that we would run with perseverance the race marked out for us, that we would fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and that we would do this, scorning the shame of that cross for the joy that's set before us to be one with you and with each other. Lord, please come. Holy Spirit, we need revival. We need a total change in our nation and in our city and in our lives and in our churches. Lord, come. Meet us today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support this radio broadcast with your tithes and offerings, thank you. Thank you to each one of you who was already this month sending tithes and offerings. I can't tell you how grateful I am. One dear sister sent us a beautiful card congratulating us on our engagement. Alexandra is my sweetheart's name. Thank you. If you would like to contribute for the broadcast, would you please write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That address again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, Two two one nine five. I'm also grateful for 
Lori and some of the others that have gone to our webpage and have clicked on the donate button and have sent contributions to help cover the cost of our radio broadcast. I cannot do this radio alone. If you do not step in and help cover the cost, I have no way of covering it. This is a faith work. I depend on God's moving by His Holy Spirit in your heart to give and to give hilariously. One man who gives a large sum every month just notified me that he probably will be losing his job. My heart could panic. Instead, I'm simply lifting it up before Jesus because I know that many of you who listen profit greatly by the warnings that I bring to your heart and by the messages calling you to revival, calling you to be changed, calling you to come awake in Jesus Christ. You profit much from these messages. I invite you to give even as you have been prospered in your spirit by Jesus. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, click on the button, Donate, and you can give via PayPal, or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Let us now determine in our hearts to be crucified with Christ Jesus. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Great joy.